All right. Hello and welcome to another installment of the Twish Pod. Mark LeCare, Pete Fox. The week in sports history. In case you're still trying to figure out what Twish is. Um, we start on February 15th. And, uh, you know, there's a surprise result from the world of Olympic hockey. Ted Williams, the fighter pilot, Mark. Not Ted Williams, the baseball player. We're going to talk about Ted Williams, the fighter pilot, and the history of the bicycle. I've um, I've been a bicycle fan for a long time. I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of actually riding them, but I do enjoy having lots of bicycles, as you probably are aware. <laughs> yeah, what, what do you do with them? They're just decorative bicycles? That's fantastically awful. It's, it's one of those just-in-case things. Uh, you never know when you're going <laughs> to need one. Oh, or several, as yeah. it turns out. You never know when yeah. you need nine. Yeah. Well, we just uh, acquired not one, but four electric bikes. And I've discovered I like those a whole lot more because the cheater bikes are... It, yes, it feeds your laziness to a T. Good exactly. for you. All right. Uh, let's start February 15th. Mm, what year was this? Uh, 1930. This one is mind-boggling. An Illinois high school basketball game. Winona High beats Toluca High in 10 overtimes. And I had to go dig up the final score because I'm actually not surprised by this, but it's mind-boggling. Ten overtimes, the final score was 26 to 22. How many of those overtimes were scoreless? Like probably most of them. I like at least like, eight of them, right? Right. I, I, I feel like it was probably like watching a hockey game in the oh, playoffs. Oh, terrible. <laughs> I mean, basketball, it, you know, we've mocked it before on this show, you know, just – how it, how it was at the beginning. And then we talked about the creation of volleyball for those that weren't athletic to put up 26 points and 10 overtimes in a high school basketball game. But I, I look at that and I just go, could there have been anything less entertaining than early 20th century basketball? Or I mean, it maybe, just sounds like a train wreck. Like maybe it was nail biting because it was like, oh, they just need one basket. Oh, they, they just kept missing for 10 overtimes. Yeah, but those aren't in and out misses. Like they're, they're chucking balls five rows deep into the stands. <laughs> I mean, it's not even close, right? I mean, there's no way. It was This is just the basket up there where no, there was no dribble penetration. Nobody was doing anything. You just sling it around until somebody chucks it up with very <laughs> limited success, as we've noted by the score. Chucking from the hip, probably. Oh, uh, just or underhand, right? The underhand style. Oh, dear Lord, that must have been um, atrocious. Uh, 1936, the Winter Olympics in Germany. Great Britain and the United States played to a 0-0 tie in the gold medal match, which accounts for Britain's only gold medal in Olympic hockey. <laughs> Who saw the potential for a shootout? When did that come about? Nobody saw the potential? How do you settle in a tie in a gold medal game? What are you doing? That's right. unbelievable. Right. Nobody had a tiebreaker, and I get it. I get when hockey sometimes in the postseason goes six overtimes or whatever it is. It can be daunting. I'm not so certain those guys were in the shape that they're in now. That said, you can't walk off with dual goals. There's no way. Yeah, it's it, it is kind of surprising that they didn't come up with something better for an ultimate game, right? Like I, no tiebreaker scenario. Yeah, I am not a fan in soccer of penalty kicks unless it is a decisive game like the world cup or something like that. And I've actually become a little bit more intrigued by penalty kicks in soccer uh, during the world cup, even when it's not the final game, because it, it really is nail biting, you know, and it, it is a, a lot of people Absolutely. say, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate to decide the game that way. I don't know that it is. I think it's exciting. And so be it. Soccer fans are okay with it. So who am I 
to begrudge them their excitement. Why not just get on board and enjoy it? And that's what I've done. Well, I, and I love it in the NHL regular season. I love that there's no more ties. I just wish that they would stop giving teams credit for losing in overtime. I mean, That's it's one thing point. to give right. them credit for losing in the shootout, but you just make it to overtime and get a loss and you get a point out of it. I don't understand that one at all because yeah. it's not, you know what I mean? You're not going to any sort of extra tiebreaker scenario. It's just straight overtime. You lose in overtime. That's an L. I don't understand why they still grant that point now that they have the shootouts. But let me get back to the, to the soccer shootouts. Do you remember what year was it when the U.S. women, I think they beat Brazil, when Hope Solo on the last kick just left? Like, she she just took off. She just left in the field. She made that girl wait like 10 minutes. Like, where are the re referees? Where, where are the officials? Where's, where are the authorities that are like, hey, get back into the goal. Like, you can't just do that in basketball. They'll start the five-second count. Right. Hope Solo left. She went into the crowd. She signed autographs. I'm pretty sure she had a sandwich. She took her sweet ass time before she came back, iced the girl completely. Nobody called timeout. She just left. And they were like, um, uh, oh, okay. Well, we can't, we, we, no, no, we can't, we can't find hope. Um, well, some, somebody, somebody go get her. They, they didn't make the backup come in. They didn't just say, Hey, if you don't get your sweet ass back here in two minutes, and I mean it. She's kicking at an empty net. They didn't allow it. She froze her. She ends up, then the other girl, the Brazilian, she ends up missing the penalty kick because Hope Solo completely iced her. It was amazing. Well, it is. It's also amazing to me that they can miss. The save to me is not quite as surprising, but it is amazing to me when they miss the goal or yeah. they, you know, they kick it right at the goaltender. Th yeah. Those are the ones that blow me away because they're, they're kicking from like 10 feet away. And that, that net is the size of a swimming pool. So it's, I, it's longer than you think it is. They make it look really close, but uh -huh. you're right. That goal is, it is the size of an Olympic swimming pool. I swear I, to God, I, I, can't I have no idea. You're how fucking defending soccer. That is, that's my head is exploding right now. No, it's it. Look, it, I don't know how they can miss it. I have no idea how those goalies are supposed to make a save. Right, but they do. they do. They do. Sometimes they do. But yeah. basically, you're 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 essentially at the behest of your own fuck ups. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that. That's it. I mean, the goalie's not really making a save. Like the the strikers basically got to hit it right at the goalie, or they've got to miss the net entirely for it to get a stop. Yeah. Or they have to just guess right, which they well, do they a lot. Guess. Yeah. So. so why don't they just kick it down the middle every time? Sometimes because they, they jump one way or the other each time. They got to guess. What I'm saying is split the difference, take the middle. There won't be any goalie there. All right. Uh, moving on to February 16th, 1953, as an officer in the Marine Corps, the splendid splinter Ted Williams. This just tells you what a badass Ted Williams was in, in every aspect of his life while flying a mission in Korea. Now, let me just back up with a little bit more history on Ted Williams. Ted Williams' baseball career was cut short by World War II, right? For what? three seasons. He still came back and won MVP awards after missing three seasons as a fighter pilot in World War II. So this is during his career, the twilight of his career. He's flying missions in Korea and crash lands his plane, and it is fine. He just walks away and then goes back and plays for the Boston Red Sox. That to me was, I, I was like, wait a second, this isn't World War II, this is Korea. Yeah. And then you look at, you look at his uh, stats throughout his career, and he didn't miss any time during this. This was just like in his offseason. He's out flying missions in Korea. It's and then shows up and hits 400. Like, oh, by the way, you know what I mean? It's, it's incredible. Could you... Could you imagine, by the way, that going over at all? 
in, in today's sports landscape, like that's not a thing anymore. LeBron James isn't going and serving in the front lines in Afghanistan. Like this was the best baseball player in the world at the time. And it, it just kind of gives you a perspective and how and gives you a real glimpse into how much things and priorities were different just 80 years ago, 70 years ago than they are today. I mean, there's no way in hell that any professional athlete is walking away. Not anymore. Well, Pat Tillman did it. Pat Tillman, that's think... a long time ago now, Pete. That's been sure. a long time. Yeah, I that, mean, that's it, a good point. You're talking about think... mid-late 90s. That's I don't think there was ago. any idea that he was going to return to playing sports is the thing. If somebody did it that's today, it. they're like, look, I'm moving on to the next part of my life. I'm not going to sure. come back and, and continue playing the sport. I'm moving on, and this is my next thing. So that that's the part that was remarkable about it. He went away twice and continued playing baseball as one of the best players in the game, if not the best. I mean, Absolutely. I think that's the, that's the most amazing part of it. Also from uh, February 16th, OJ Simpson, this was in 1999. OJ Simpson's Heisman trophy. I'm not exactly sure what year that was from was sold for $230,000 to, uh, you know, some, I don't know, fan. And then that money was allegedly supposed to go to the Goldman family as part of the civil lawsuit, which was a $33 million settlement against OJ Simpson. So my question is, did the Goldman family actually ever get that money? And if they did, was that the extent of the money they got from the civil lawsuit? Do you remember how that all played out? I, okay, it's, it's foggy at best. But I do remember things that... OJ basically just didn't pay them anything. Like they got they got a fraction of what that right. that money that settlement was supposed to be, the 33 million dollars. Like I'm not even sure if he paid them one to be honest with you. And for some reason, they aren't allowed to touch his pension from the NFL cuz that's what he lives on now. Yeah. And I have no idea how that works. I'm also wondering, is this some of the same memorabilia that actually ended up landing him in prison eventually? Is it this stuff here? Because this one sounds like it was just a straight sell-off, but he went out to reclaim memorabilia at that Vegas hotel and got put away for kidnapping and assault, um, you know, which is a, a bit extreme. But I think sure. once they, they, they made an exception, the prosecutor's office made an exception for O.J. Simpson and really threw the book at him. And I don't think anybody gives a shit, Pete. Yeah, no, I don't either. I, I You know, he got what was coming to him ultimately, um, but is now a free man, which is also surprising. I do not believe this was part of that, but it could be. You never know. You never know with OJ because he works, uh, his mind works in mysterious ways. All right, uh, moving on to 17th of February, way back in the early 1800s, 1818 to be specific, Baron Karl von Dreis patents the Dreisine bicycle, Okay. Uh, what's interesting about this is this was basically the very first bicycle, but it had no propulsion other than your feet. So, you know, those bikes <laughs> that kids use now that's yeah. they're called trainer bikes or something, right? Where they have no pedals, no chain, nothing. It's just two wheels. And then you propel with your feet. Well, that was the Drazine bicycle, just two wheels. And it looked far more like a regular bicycle. Then the penny farthing, which was invented in the 1870s. Now that's like 
50 years later, but the penny farthing is that bike. I'm sure you are familiar with it. It's the big wheeled bike, you know, that massive right. front wheel with the tiny little back wheel, <laughs> Absolutely. which looks like a complete death trap. You so, needed a ladder just to get on top of it. Like why anybody thought that was a good idea is beyond me. Well, it was centrifugal force is what it boiled down to. That's how they propelled the bike, but you couldn't touch the ground with your feet. You had no. to, it was so dangerous that people died all the time on those bikes. Oh yeah, if you crash, that's a long way down. You can get jacked up just in a regular bike crash. And now, now right. you're taking a free fall two stories to the ground. So it's mind boggling to me. It's so surprising that they didn't look back to the Drazine bicycle, which had two normal sized wheels. And all you needed to do was put that sprocket and a chain on there and away you go. They didn't figure that out for another hundred years. Yeah, nobody saw this potential. I'm assuming they didn't have brakes either. So, you know, while you think, oh, well, you're basically at the mercy of a hill, you don't want to go down that road either. Well, they used you know, them you, primarily for tending to the herd. So they would go out into the fields on these drazing bicycles. And Have you ever done that, though, where you're propelling yourself? I feel like it's more work than walking. I, well, I really do. Like, they, And it's sometimes, have you ever seen those weird, like, you start to see it with homeless people or whatever, when they're in the wheelchair, but they're propelling it with their own foot. I feel like that's a total scam. Those people ought to be locked away for that. And again, I always look at that and I go, isn't it more work to go one foot wheelchair than it is to just stand and walk? Well, with the wheelchair thing, I'm, I'm thinking they probably don't have that option, but you never know. But as far as the bike goes, there is momentum. So yeah, I, I feel like the, the way they tell the story is that it got them around tending to the herd in the field a whole lot faster than just walking because obviously they didn't have tractors or anything like that you know so they were it was either the horse or the oxen right or the drazing bicycle to get around the field so uh it, it, the evolution of the bike to me is is very very interesting merely because of the penny farthing and that massive front wheel and the fact that that was a thing for a long time and then shortly thereafter is when they you know got it to look like a regular bicycle and then of course harley davidson put a motor on it and it became motorcycles and so forth and so on and now we have one of my new toys as i mentioned the electric bike which is uh, one of the coolest, most fun things I've ever owned. You People really... are so soft. People <laughs> are so soft now. You're, you're going around, I you're can't getting wait all for letting... the accolades and you're putting in none of the work on the bike. And it's embarrassing. I mean, these guys were, they, these were they're propelling themselves with their feet on the ground like the Flintstones car. I mean, people were really getting after it to save about a fraction of a second per mile. That couldn't have been getting anywhere that much faster than if they were just walking or jogging. But people worked for it. They worked for those advantages. Yeah. Now you're on electric. Get out of here. You're I can't wait for you to give it a try. You'll you'll um, take those words back. You'll be like, this is amazing. <laughs> this terrifying. is unbelievable. I won't do it. I won't. I won't. I don't like any rocket principle alone. <laughs> no, not doing it. All right. Um, 1924. Before he was Tarzan, Johnny Weissmuller sets the record in the 100 meter freestyle at 57.4. Any idea what the current 100 meter freestyle record is i have today. no idea it's a good 10 no seconds faster in 100 yeah. meters in the pool 10 seconds <laughs> that's like half the pool <laughs> as it turns out we're making better athletes now yeah oh yeah <laughs> this yeah. just in and you know what i like too is that even back when spitz was doing it you know now they've got they've got everything down to the utmost science where you're completely shaven the heads are looking like mine because you don't want any resistance in the water 
you remember Mark Spitz and his glorious mustache? Sure. Like I mean, Harry these chest. guys had yeah, they had all the hair. I mean, how much? And his record stood for decades. Like how much better would he have been just by shaving it down? But in the seventies, that wasn't allowed. You couldn't do that in the seventies. You were having to 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 own that. You had to go all mustache, the hair, the chest hair. That was a man, that Mark Spitz. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm serious. These guys, 10 seconds, but they were having all of the things attached to them. Now, I like the part where, too, he's got the good swimmer's body. That looks good shirtless. Those guys have got physiques, man. Those swimmers with the backs and the arms and the traps and all the things, that's a Tarzan, man. That's right. a guy who would look the yeah. part. And he was he was definitely more Tarzan than swimmer because he was Tarzan for a good ten plus years. Mm-hmm. There was a, a infinite number of movies about Tarzan, and uh, I was surprised. I thought he did a couple of movies, but there's a whole slew of them, and he was Tarzan for a long period of time. I think it was ten to twelve years. So pretty That's remarkable. A good gig too. Uh, you know, not much in the, is required in the acting chops. You know what I mean? Just a lot of a lot of mumbling and me Tarzan, you Jane. Like there's not a lot of dialogue to really master in that. Uh, you want to give it a shot, or should I? No, you go right ahead. Okay, here we go. See, get in the pool for about six years, Pete. You can come out and play Tarzan. Started strong, finished very weak right there. Yeah, it petered out at the yeah, end, no question. Bit, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of nice mustaches, 1974, Richard Petty wins his fifth Daytona 500, becoming the first to do it in consecutive years. So he had uh, set the record for being the first to win back-to-back Daytona 500s in his um i believe it was a dodge and they were back then in the 70s i think they were you know getting up around 100 115 120 miles an hour not like they are today at uh, 200 miles an hour it's incredible you 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 happen to watch any of that yesterday i didn't well i saw the crash at the end Mm -hmm. you know what i mean that's what i tune in for you know what i mean like uh somebody who doesn't like uh hockey is always going to tune in for hockey fights now i happen to like hockey but it's the same conceptually as it is with hockey as it is with racing. If you're not into the sport, that's cool. You'll just come in for the uh, for the trauma and the, uh, the you know the blood and guts at the end. That was a pretty epic crash. There's flames and three four cars were on fire. That was a wild ending. Yeah, after six hours of rain delay, they were sitting there waiting, and then they finally got out there and finished the race. And uh, the guy that ended up winning, who I can't remember his name because he's basically a nobody. I want to say this is his first win ever. Uh, you know, he was behind two other guys who were on the same team fighting for the lead. And he was just kind of playing, waiting in the catbird seat, if you will. Yeah. And sure enough, those two guys crashed each other and he just zoomed right past. And uh, he led for a grand total of a half of a lap. I love how NASCAR doesn't give a shit about the health and safety of their drivers. Like a six hour rain delay at 200 miles an hour on bald tires. Who, you know what I mean? Like who? Oh, oh, nobody saw this potential for, for tragedy. You know, how could you, how could you possibly think that this was going to go any other way? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think the reason it was six hours is because they want to have a dry track and uh, I, you know, the, the safety thing obviously has come a long way. Um, But, you know, like for example, after Dale Earnhardt crashed into the wall and died and looked like a very mild crash, Unless you know something about physics, in which right. case your body just can't come to an abrupt stop like that and expect there not to be, you know, death-defying consequences. But after that, they created the Hans device, right? The head yes. and neck safety device. It came out of that crash. So complete game changer. Uh, and the safety of those vehicles and everything else. I mean, yeah. could you imagine those old Dodges, the Richard Petties at 120, you know, 200 miles an hour, that level of engine right. with no safety equipment? 
It's well, insane. you know, the fire suits, everything now. The term is stock car. It's not supposed yeah. to be modified, but that's true. It's a little bit of a misnomer. <laughs> not exactly street legal, if you know what I mean. Yeah. All right. February 18th, 1944. This one's kind of funny for baseball fans. Uh, this guy's 15 years old. Joe Nuxall signs a contract after like a, a day or two after uh, a high school basketball game that he participated in. He signs a professional baseball contract with the Cincinnati Reds. He makes his debut a year later, pitches two thirds of an inning and then retires about a year after that without pitching again. And then he's out of the game till 1952, right? So he was out of the game for about five, six years. He returns at 52 and plays for 16 years. Well, he, you know, in fairness, it was conflicting with the prom schedule that year. So he had to, he had to go and take a seat. But how about that for stick to itiveness, right? You have a goal and you stick with it. And, uh, you know, you would think he signs his contract at 15. He plays one inning, one inning, one game, one inning, two thirds of an inning. He's a pitcher and he retires. He's like, well, that didn't work out. I suck. I clearly don't have what it takes. And then he comes back some six or seven years later and plays for 16 years. So you I think it was that or his mom just wouldn't sign the permission slip. Like, <laughs> what, what do you think that is? I mean, really, I, I wonder if he just wanted to be a kid, had some sort of moment of clarity, like in the movie Little Big League, and is like, you know what? It's always going to be here. I'm just going to go and be a child for a while. I'm going to be, be a teenager, have fun. I've obviously got what it takes. If I can do this at 16, yeah. I can certainly do it in my mid-20s. Yeah, that's probably what it was. Or, you know, maybe he was working on his game because it does not appear when you look at his stat line, it does not appear that he was playing minor league baseball or anything. Right. He was just out of the game for a good five to six years and then returns and plays for 16 years. So I applaud him. I think it's amazing that he was able to do that. And as you've said and pointed out many times before, it was a different game back then. So we don't know for if sure. he'd be able to do that today. But, but I mean, um, what a luxury to just have that sort of flippant relationship with a professional sport like, you know, Bo Jackson, we've talked about before on this show, who basically did football as a hobby. Mm -hmm. His love was baseball, but uh, you know what? Maybe I'll do this. I'm a little bored in the offseason. It's just it's incre it's incredible when you think about some of these people that exist in this way that can just have such a nonchalant sort of react. I don't know if you ever played with guys like that. I remember playing with a guy growing up named Isaac Preciado, and he didn't pick up a ball. He didn't do anything, training, a bat, nothing, all off season, and would just show up day one in flip-flops with his skateboard and just go out and hit bombs. Like he could just do whatever he wanted. He could just jump up on the mound, throw 90 miles an hour, and just stick one out, out to left center, no problem. Like with nothing, hadn't done anything in seven months and just shows up and just like, oh, whatever. You know my what I mean? Where everybody story, else is busting their ass. My favorite story is Jeff Kent, reportedly hated baseball. Mm -hmm. but was so good at it, couldn't not play, right? He couldn't yeah. turn money. But reportedly, that's why he was such a douchebag in the locker room to all of us when we were covering the game. He would always roll his eyes. No matter what question you asked him, he'd be like, uh, all right. Well, well and not just you, his teammates. He wasn't exactly oh, a, yeah. a, a clubhouse favorite amongst his uh, his fellow teammates right, either. Yeah. Yeah. So the story goes that he, he just didn't like baseball, right? Well, and, and you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense because from what I heard, I mean, just – Another example of his flippancy in regarding the game, when he won MVP with the San Francisco Giants, he basically got a call from MLB informing him that he he was at the MVP. He went outside, talked to him for a second. Okay, thanks. Comes back in, no emotion. His wife had actually um, invited another couple over. He was having a barbecue with just neighbors or friends or something. 
And somebody asked him, I think his wife, oh, what was that, sweetheart? And he goes, oh, uh, Major League Baseball just called it. It made me MVP. Like, just, just didn't give a shit at all. Like, it doesn't matter. And now that makes sense. Hearing yeah. that, I didn't know he had the that sort of relationship with the game right. where he didn't even like it. But now it stands to reason. That well, you other story the whole, makes more sense. The whole injury where he claimed he was washing his truck and he washing rolled Washing the truck. Yeah. Ultimately, he was, I think, dirt bike riding or playing basketball. I think basketball it was snowmobiling. Snowmobiling. Was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Matt yeah. Bumgarner was the dirt bike. Yeah. That that's That's proof of it right there. You know, he was like, I don't give a damn about baseball. I'm going to go do what I do. And right. if I get hurt, so be it. That's why he had to come up with a lie because I think it voided his contract or there it was a clause or something. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that so. was that That was the additional risk factors or whatever to be avoided in his contract. It was, you know, it was funny. When I first started covering the Dodgers and I was kind of a fan, I don't know why. I just thought he was, I liked his attitude. I mean, on the field anyway. And I was kind of excited to go talk to him. And I was like, hey, can I ask you some questions? And he was like, uh, yes you know and i was like uh i'm like super nervous it's now my... all of a sudden he's intimidated you yeah, he's put right. you on your heels one of my first games ever and i got to deal with douchebag jeff kent I'm like oh my god all right uh february 19th 2017 this is when the uh nba all-star game started getting good the west beats the east 192 182 and i had the over it was over by halftime <laughs> Of course you did. You know, I don't think those were good games. I don't like the complete lack of defense. I don't like the hockey all-star games oh, from back I love in the both day of them. when they were like 16 to 12. I hated those. <laughs> they were so boring to me. It was like, it was too much of a good thing, right? It was, we want scoring, but there's got to be some level of defense. And then of course, you know, uh, jackass Kobe Bryant decided he was going to take it all seriously one year, but you know, and it seemed ridiculous at the time, but I kind of liked it. It's like, you know what, go ahead and put on a show and don't care for the first three quarters, but that fourth quarter should be played competitively. And I True. did like that about Kobe. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that he did that. I, I enjoy the exhibition aspect of it. It's just fun. You can see the guys having a good time with each other and not playing defense, especially in hockey. Are they doing the, they're doing the ole right to the goaltender. Basketball's yeah. the same way. Nobody wants to get hurt. Well, I don't um, like it because you know what? I can just see that. You can see that when the Globetrotters are in town or the AN1 mix tour, if you remember that from back in the day, that that was the whole thing. I don't need the trickery and the nonsense and the you know funky alley-oops and all that other stuff. I want to see that with the defender. I want you to be able to do that, but I want there to be some resistance. That's that competitive fire that gets stoked that certain guys were able to finally spin it back around and at least do it, like I said, for the fourth quarter. And once that came right. back around, I did enjoy it. Well, they did that because they put money on the line. <laughs> if there's anything that motivates if professional bet the athletes, spread. it's more money. All right. Uh, speaking of money, one final thing here, February 19th, uh, what year was this? Just two years ago, I want to say. Uh, Manny Machado signs that 10-year, $300 million deal to play for the Padres, which was the highest paid, con the biggest contract given to any professional athlete in any sport in the history of sports until about a week or two later when Bryce <laughs> Harper <laughs> signed a 13-year deal worth $327 million, I believe. And then Garrett Cole's nine-year deal worth $324 million. Not that this is new for me, 
But when these deals started getting this absurd, and it, look, it wasn't two years ago. It was no. probably Derek Jeter and A-Rod. A- and back. In well, the- A-Rod was the first big one, right? The right. $252 million that he signed with the Texas Rangers that basically bankrupt the franchise and made, made it impossible for them to be competitive because he had their entire payroll, which is how he ended right. up with the Yankees. Yeah, um, but that, they- when that started happening is when I started tuning out to being in awe of a contract, <laughs> yeah. whatever, because the next one will be bigger. And it's really, you know, it's just play money to these guys. <laughs> I mean, well, and it's how not much something is that, we can fathom. But how much does this tie into sort of what we talked about earlier? You know, when Ted Williams was doing his duty for the country, I mean, I know there was an attitude and a responsibility, a civic and social responsibility that was just different back then. Mm-hmm. And certainly the, the, you know, magnitude of World War II was a lot more intense um, you know, we're literally you're fighting for your freedom and the possibility that we could lose our way of life. That said, it's a lot easier to walk away and do that from like 62 grand a year as opposed to 35 million a sure. year. You know what I mean? So right. th- there are some complications with that that come in. Um, uh, God, I look at these deals. I think the Phillies already have buyer's remorse, right? Like <laughs> that was the best day of my life when they took it. The Giants made a real big push for Bryce Harper. That would have been a long, sad, sorry day for Mark LeCare. I tell you that much if he would have come to San Francisco. I've always hated Bryce Harper. I think he's overrated. He had Agreed. one good season. What have you done for me lately? Like he's, I, I have no idea where this reputation, this, this glow around Bryce Harper even comes from. I really don't. I mean, he seems for all intents and purposes an asshole. Um, it, he's, he's, you know, very much underperforming based on the hype and expectation. It's amazing to me how he seems to get all the accolades when Mike Trout seems to be doing all the performing on the field. I mean, the, the funniest thing about Bryce Harper was the year after he lost, left Washington to go to Philadelphia, Washington's supposed to, you know, take it on the chin. Oh, my God, what are they going to do? Oh, they won the World Series. That's what they did. All they had to do was addition by subtraction in the form of Bryce Harper. And not only did they finally get a first round playoff series victory, they win the World Series, Pete. So that's kind of amazing. I also hate Manny Machado, but I think that he's probably the best bet out of those three ginormous contracts. um, Because I don't know how you expect somebody's arm to stay healthy for nine years. I mean, if they get five years from Garrett Cole. That's going to be amazing. I mean, we saw this with the Angels when they brought in Pujols on that absurd deal, knowing that there was no way he was going to be able to perform for more than four or five years of that contract tops. And the amount of money they gave him was absurd. Um, Definitely had buyer's remorse there, but Garrett Cole, that thing's going to come back to haunt them, except for the part where it's the Yankees and they can afford it. It's all play money to them, right? Yeah, I'm not a fan of any of these huge contracts. I don't care. I'm with you. I don't like any of them. I just, to me, it's, the Albert Pujols one, yes, he didn't win them anything at all. But I mean, he at least lived up to the majority of that deal as far as no, his numbers. he did not. How dare you? Well, he had like three look, or four good seasons out of nine. Yeah, but at least he's still playing. <laughs> so, they, bro, they paid for the records. He's being propped up to chase the records, and it's convenient to put him out there because the Angels aren't competitive. Yeah, it puts so they can let seats, him chase right. that stuff. Right, and they're but, not bashful about saying that. So, but yeah, and that's what they—that's what they got him out there for. They yeah. just keep running him out to cash in on the record books. But I will say this: What is going on with the San Diego Padres? Like they were the one of the poorest. Yeah, but they were one of the poorest teams in all of baseball my entire life, having to constantly do it on the cheap, and then all of a sudden they got deep pockets. Yes, I mean I'm happy for the city because they can't seem to keep a franchise. We know the Clippers left back in the day. They just lost the Chargers, and how sad would it be if they had the pitiful Padres finishing in last place every year? No longer. They're spending the money. They're going to new ownership group. 
Oh, it's, they're fantastic. It's Peter O'Malley's uh, uh, son-in-law or something. So, he, no you know, kidding. baseball in the family. So they, they know how to run baseball organizations. So, uh, I, you know, yeah, look, I'm a Dodger fan. You're a giant fan. But, uh, like, I don't think I would have a tough time rooting for the Padres if they got to the World Series. Not so. even a little bit. No, right. I not even a little bit, especially because I'm a Giants fan. And we're not competitive right now, and the Dodgers are really good. So I say go Padres. That is All the right. lesser of the evils for sure. Time to wrap up with our liquor review. What do you got? Um, I, I, I have two, and they're going to be real quick. Um, I had a bad week. I didn't find anything good or interesting. Uh, 19 crimes is solid. I found purebred an old vine Zen at Trader Joe's. And as you can see from the charging bull on the label, it's just, a, it's an attractive label. I fell for the label. Always. The wine is like, eh, it's like a 3.5 out of five. It's a little too acidic. The sweetness is okay. It's bold for an old vine Zen. You would expect that, but it's also a little too tannic, but again, it's seven bucks. I, I would say pass if you have other, something else, but the the label is. Do you have the luxury if your budget is seven dollars? Do you have the luxury of passing and going for something else? At Trader Joe's, you do, of course. That's true. That's a good point. This though, on the other oh! hand, for two ninety nine, the Mississippi Mud Black and Tan, which scandalous. I bought in the same trip to Trader Joe's, is you a home run. You should be embarrassed. This is that a home is run. You know what's great about it? It's a jug, so Nothing. you can drink it like. <laughs> the jug is cool. It's a cool. It's a. But they're dazzling you with the so jug good. because they don't have a good product. You don't like this? No, I don't like the Mississippi mud. Oh. You know, it's funny though. You did mention the labels. I am such a, such a sucker for advertising when it comes to my alcohol because I tell you what, I, you know, my love of IPAs is is a deep and true and pure mm -hmm. love. Um, but for the longest time. I didn't try modern times beer. It wasn't until I got with because uh, of the can, <laughs> my girlfriend now. Yeah. She was like, she finally got me. There was always something that looked a little better. And I never pulled the trigger because those cans are just so mundane. Right. And I was just, Oh, you know, there'll be something better. There'll be something better. There's something better. What there if it was like was. five 99 and six pack, you probably would have bought it. But the fact that I would have like 12 99. Yes. It's, it's a, and it's not a six pack. That's a four pack of tall cans. Oh. It's a, it's just, they're 16 ounce cans. So you got four of those. So it's basically like a five and a third pack. You know what I mean? And I'm like, wow, that's a hefty price yeah. to pay for Ten a can bucks, that looks very innocuous. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I took forever. And now my favorite beer, I can't even drink anything else. Nothing comes oh, close. Now, nice. but, but I'm not drinking the modern times tonight. I am with the 19 crimes. I have the Cabernet. It's a 2019. Again, the label is awesome. This is like, uh, it's Australian and, uh, th they just got prisoners on the front and that's awesome. And I wanted to drink with this what does guy that go for he, about 1299. It was, it was 1199 at Staters today. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, if I would have bought four bottles, it would have knocked the price down to 799, but I didn't feel like going there. Don't you now that, that I'm doing I the math, I probably should have. I don't need four bottles. What are you trying to do? Promote my alcoholism or my obesity with, if I buy 12 bags of chips, they're only a dollar a piece. But if I buy yeah. three, they're three 99. I hate well, that. Well, and the joke's on you too, because you never get to the bottom of all those chips. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they go stale. You're, you're, yeah, they're, they're definitely getting over on you on that one. So anyway, oh, so I bought this one. It's pretty solid. I mean, again, you know, 12 bucks is not a, a super expensive wine, but it's not your, you know, six buck Chuck over there that you're drinking on tonight. They're swill. Well, I'm look, I'm just, to I'm on this podcast. it's not terrible. I'm just sharing this as a review. It's okay. I, like I said, 3.5 out of five. I, I, I usually like four or above. I'm a bit of a snob. For my seven dollar wines yeah this has got a bit of a funky taste um 
certain sips are, I don't know, it almost, it almost has like a metallic taste to it, but it's real jammy. It is smooth. Mm-hmm. Nice. A little bit on the back end that's just not sitting with me right. So you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm, I'm actually going, uh, I'm going back to my girlfriend's house tonight and I'm opening up one of the bottles from Temecula that we just got in our pickup shipment. I'm very nice. excited about this. Well, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Um, I also had a Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa. And nice. It was, uh, you know, it was probably fifteen ninety nine, which is a little bit high for me. It was a Valentine's wine, and sure. um, it was. I might review that next week. It was a little underwhelming because, on the nose, it smelled like a stinky pond out in the wilderness. Right? It had that stinky pond smell. And then that's my wife goes, "Are you sure that's the wine? Or maybe you didn't clean the glass well enough?" And I'm like, "It's a very good point. You're probably right. It's probably just a dirty <laughs> glass." <laughs> Because you live in squalor. <laughs> You've been bitten by your own snake, Pete Fox. <laughs> uh, he's Mark LaCara, Pete Fox. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next week on the Twitch Pod.